Amen. Thank you, Miss Denise. What a beautiful song. And that ought to be the desire of all of our hearts, drawing closer to the Lord. Living the Christian life ought to just be a, a, a progression, getting closer to God, and then one day we just we go to heaven and we're with Him, right? It's just a natural transition, and uh, that's a glorious thought. Take your Bibles, if you would, and let's open the Word of God to Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 16. We're going to begin reading a familiar passage of Scripture, one of the great stories of the Bible, told by the Lord Jesus. We'll begin reading verse 19, and we're just going to read down through the end of the story, which also happens to be the end of the chapter. Luke 16, verse 19. When you found your place, let's stand together for the reading of God's Word. All right, we'll bow in prayer, and then we'll begin reading in verse 19. Let's pray together. Father, how we do love you today, and how we thank you once again for the Scriptures. And we thank you, Lord, for the beautiful language of the King James Bible And this great story that you told and you shared with those in your day, Lord, also recording it in the pages of Scripture for every generation down through time, including us. And Lord, we just ask that as we read this story and reminisce today, that first of all, we'll catch the meaning of what you intended to say to us. And then, Lord, help us to be good stewards of that truth, that we might share it with others and provide the instruction that they need and that this world needs which is why you gave us the Bible in the first place. We pray you'd have your will and way in every heart and life. We pray you'd speak to us personally. Lord, show us what your will would be for us to do. Show us what you'd have us do as we learn and grow from what we experience today. Thank you for the wonderful time of fellowship and singing. And now bless the reading of your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, verse 19, the Bible says, There was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen, and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, which was laid at his gate full of sores, and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And in hell he lift up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that, in that, that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things, And likewise, Lazarus, evil things. But now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. And beside all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot. Neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. Then he said, I pray thee therefore, Father, that thou wouldest send him to my father's house, For I have five brethren, that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. Abraham said unto him, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. And he said unto him, If they hear not Moses and the prophets... 
neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. Wow, that's a powerful story, isn't it? I want to preach uh, a series of evangelistic messages on this passage. And today I want to start with the obvious. We're going to be talking about hell and its torments. Because this is what Jesus was teaching us through this story in the Bible today. Thank you so much. You may be seated. Hell and its torments. What a thought. I want to say at the outset of this message that What we just read is not a parable. There are great parables in the Bible, and if you are a student of God's Word, then you know that a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And Jesus often used parables to teach great truths as He spoke to the crowds in His day, using illustrations and things they could relate to to teach heavenly truth. But in this story, it is a real story, and we know that because Jesus names a real individual. He doesn't just say a certain man. He said a poor man named Lazarus. So this had historical roots, and it had evidence there that this was a real-life situation. The Lord chose to leave the rich man nameless, and uh, there are many reasons for that. We won't spend time on that this morning. Now, for those who are critical of God's word and want to say this is a parable, let me just back up and say, okay, if then it is a parable, what is it teaching? The obvious truth that would be taught from this story is that there is a hell. There is a place of torment. Now, naturally, we probably would think in our day and probably in our generation, one of the first things that questions that would be raised at this story is why preach on hell? I mean, doesn't God love everybody? And isn't God a God of love? And all of that's true. And yes, he is. But there still is a reason to preach about hell. You know, God was giving this story because he was given a warning. He was telling us this story so that people would know the truth about their eternal destination. And the reason why people have to know that truth is because you have to be prepared. If you're not prepared, you're going to be surprised. And it's a surprise that you cannot change. And we're going to learn a lot about eternity as we go through these uh, messages. But today, I want to focus on the focal point of this story. The grand truth of the story that Jesus told was that the rich man ended up in hell. Now, we know that because of what the Bible teaches... We know that the rich man didn't go to hell because he was rich. And Lazarus didn't go to heaven because he was poor. There's no glory in being poor. And there's no condemnation in being rich. And the Bible does not teach either one of those messages. It just so happens this was their lot in life. And this is how, through those circumstances, this is how those two men fit together. The rich man had wonderful things, and Lazarus was a beggar who sat outside his gate. That brings context to the story, and it explains why we're talking about these two men in the same story. And so it tells us their circumstances. Now, as a a preacher of God's Word, as a modern-day Christian, we have to answer that question, why preach about hell? Just as Jesus felt the urgency to talk about this in his day, 
you and I need to talk about it in our day. And the reason is because the warning about hell is our responsibility as believers, as stewards of God's truth. Because God gave his word to us. We as believers, we're the ones holding on to this. The world's not reading this book every day, right? We are, and we're the custodians of God's word. And it's our responsibility to share the warnings of the Bible with our generation and those around us. And we need to be diligent in our efforts to do that. Now, the reality is, first of all, I cannot be a Bible preacher and avoid topics that the Bible talks about. If I'm going to be a Bible preacher, I have to be willing to preach all of what the Bible says. And so that behooves me at times to preach about this topic, this subject of hell. It's not a pleasant subject. It's not a fun subject. And because of that, there are many preachers who skip this topic. And in my opinion, I think that puts a ding in their testimony as a Bible preacher. Something's wrong with somebody who would avoid topics from God's word just because they're not pleasant. You know, sometimes we have to know the bad news in order to rejoice over the good news. All right. And and we need to understand this matter of hell. Number two, why preach on hell? Because we would have an incomplete view of life and eternity without this subject. Psalm 73 is a wonderful example of that. It's a psalm of Asaph. He was really struggling with the issues of life and he was envious because sometimes the wicked seem more prosperous than the just. And the Bible says he was struggling with this attitude and he was struggling with this perspective until he went into the house of God. In the sanctuary, he got help for his soul and he realized, putting eternity in perspective, he realized that he was richer than the world's wealthiest man. Why? Because he knew the Lord and he he knew salvation and he realized that those without God, those without Christ, will one day go to a godless devil's hell where there is pain and suffering. Look, what they experience in this life, this is their heaven. And he said, then when I was in the sanctuary, he said, I understood their end. Boy, that brought things into perspective. You know, as bad as this life may ever get for you, if you know the Lord Jesus Christ, this is as worse as it gets. Look, it's only going to get better from here because we're going to heaven. Praise God. That can lift you up on a a bad day, right? Life would just be incomplete without knowledge of this subject. Number three, people will be unprepared to meet God, and they may die and go there if I don't preach on hell. And I believe it's a preacher's responsibility. It's a Christian's responsibility also to share the warnings of Scripture, especially this warning about hell. And then number four, I believe, why preach about hell? Because the Bible teaches us that the average person is lost and headed toward hell already. John 3.18 tells us that. Matter of fact, let's, uh, let's turn over and look at that scripture. In John chapter 3, in verse 18, it says, He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already. Because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Since Jesus is the only Savior, until you receive Jesus, you're unsaved. You're actually condemned on your way to hell. Sometimes people say, oh, preacher, I, I, could, never, 
I could never witness to someone because, oh, I, I'm, you know, I, I might mess it up. <laughs> I'm thinking, how can you mess it up? They're already condemned. They're already headed toward hell. There's nothing you can say. You can misquote scripture. You can forget halfway through it. You cannot know where the reference is in the Bible. But any truth you tell them is going to help them be better off than what they are without it. You can't mess up the plan of salvation. That's why every one of us need to be willing and diligent about just tell what you know. Share your testimony, if nothing else. Because the lost world around us, they need to know this great warning of the Bible about where they will spend eternity without Jesus Christ if they don't accept him. So this story teaches us some things about hell. It teaches us about hell and its, and its torments. I want you to just to think for a moment about the place called hell. It is a literal place. This passage tells us that it is. I remember out on visitation talking to people, knocking on doors and introducing myself, asking folks, hey, do you, do you have a church home? Do you know the Lord is your Savior? And I remember talking to this person about, uh, about hell and about being saved, and you, this is why you need to be saved. And this person, I, if I remember right, I believe it was a, a, a lady, and she said, well, we don't believe in hell. I said, really? I said, well, do, do you believe the Bible? And she said, yes. And I said, well, do you believe the Bible is God's word? And she said, oh, yes. I said, if I show you in the Bible that there's a hell, would you believe it? She said, absolutely. I said, okay. And I began to read. And she said, oh, but that's not, that, that, that's, that's your Bible. That's not our Bible. I said, oh, you have a Bible? She said, yes. I said, would you go and get it? She went and got her Bible. She came back. I took her Bible, and I went to Luke 16, and I read this story. And instead of the word flame, they had, their, their, their edition had changed the word to the word fire. I said, well, even better. That's pretty vivid, isn't it? I said, well, I'm tormented in this fire. I said, boy, that sounds bad, doesn't it? I said, you know, this story is telling us that hell is a real place. This guy actually went there. You know, the Bible says in Hebrews, it is appointed unto man once to die, and after that, the judgment. And I said, you know, the problem with most people today is they don't think about after. They're going to live till they die, and they're not thinking anything about what happens after. But the Bible says there is an after, and you better get ready for that. Otherwise, you're going to ignorantly, innocently slide right into... Excuse me. I said innocently. We're not really innocent. The Bible says we're all guilty of sin. And when somebody goes to hell, they do deserve to be there. Or a just, righteous God wouldn't allow them to be. Right? So we are guilty. We do deserve that. We're not innocent in the sense that this is unjust punishment. But we are innocent in the sense that we're unaware. But let me ask you a question. If you're flying down the road going 90 miles an hour and you pass a state trooper and he pulls you over and says, were you aware the speed limit is 35? Oh, man, officer, I, I didn't see a sign. What is he going to tell you? Ignorance of the law is no excuse. 
They like saying that. And then they like writing their autograph afterwards, getting your autograph. Just sign this, please. You're not admitting guilt. You're just acknowledging that. <laughs> oh, brother. Right? If we're, not, if we're not exempt from man's law because of ignorance, do you think we're going to be exempt from God's law because of ignorance? Absolutely not. And so there is a place, the Bible says, there is a place called hell. The Bible says in verse 23, And in hell he lift up his eyes, being in torments. I want us to think for a moment about this place called hell. I want you to think about what the Bible says about hell. If you've ever done a Bible study, then you know it's not, a, it's not a fun place. It's not a good place. Hey, people that say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to hell and have a party with all my friends, they are really ignorant, dumb on purpose. They don't know anything about what the Bible says, or they wouldn't say things like that. Hell's not a place to joke about. It's not funny. When you read what the Bible says, when you see the, the torment of this man crying out to Father Abraham, please, have you ever thought what, what it would be? For Lazarus, if he could have, to just dip his finger in the water and touch that man's tongue, that's not even a drop. But he was pleading for that. Now, if that's a real scenario, and it is, do you know how, how dire this is and why he was pleading for just a wet touch? That's how desperate, that's how painful that it was. Well, the Bible says hell is a place of banishment. It's described in Scripture as the second death. The Bible defines death not as an end, but the Bible describes death as a separation. The first death in the Bible is when your body and soul separate. We know all about that. We take the body and plant it back in the ground. But there is still the soul of the person that lives on after death, is separated from the body and goes to eternity. The Bible says after death, right? Okay, so what happens to the soul? Well, the soul is either going to spend eternity in heaven with God or the soul is going to be cast out of heaven. The second death, the second separation, separated from God for all eternity in a place called hell. That's what the Bible teaches. So if you're born once by your own physical birth, you're going to die twice at, at death and then at the second death when you're cast into the lake of fire. That's when Jesus says, depart from me, I never knew you. But if you're born twice, you have a physical birth and then you get born again where, where, where you get saved on the inside, redeemed by the Lord Jesus Christ, washed in his blood, forgiven of all your sins, born into the family of God, adopted as a son of God, joint heirs with Jesus Christ. That means that you skip the second death and end up in heaven with Jesus. Oh, what a glorious end. But you have to know and be prepared about that. The Bible says that hell is a place of banishment. It's the second death, the second separation, parted from the presence of God forever. In Luke 16, 26, it says, And beside all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. Oh yes, there are people in hell who wish they could get out. 
But he said, it's not possible. Once you're there, you're staying. Matthew 7, 21 says, Not everyone that saith to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he which doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say unto me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name have done many wonderful works? And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. That's Matthew 7, 23. Hell is a place where people will be banished from the presence of the Lord forever. Hell is also a place of burning. In Luke 16, 23, the Bible says, and I read it a moment ago, and in hell he lift up his eyes, being in torments. And so I read that verse to the lady and I said, torments. I said, so this man was in torments. He was in hell. And, and then I read the verse about the fire and I said, the Bible, I said, your Bible says there is a hell. And I handed it back to her. And she said, wow, I guess I have to study more about that. I said, yes, ma'am, I think you do. And let me give you a few verses that you can start with. And I wrote down some right off the top of my head and gave them to her. And she willingly took it, and I hope she did. Hell is a place of burning. He was in torment, seeing Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. And send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. Mark 9, 43 says, And if thy hand offend thee, cut it off. It is better for thee to enter into life maimed than having two hands and to go into hell, into the fire that shall never be quenched, where their worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. Verse 46 says, Where their worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. Verse 47 of Mark 9 says, And if thine eye offend thee, pluck it out. It is better for thee to enter into the kingdom of God with one eye than having two eyes to be cast into hell fire, where their worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. Revelation 21.8 says, But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters, some bad sinners, right? It says, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Think about it. This is a real place. It's a place of burning. But not only that, it's a place of blackness. People say, I'm going to go have a party with all my friends. No, no, you're not thinking about the same hell that God was trying to warn you about. Because the Bible says... In Matthew 25, in verse 30, it says, And cast ye the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You're talking darkness. The kind of darkness where you can't see your hand in front of your face. This doesn't sound like a place where parties are happening. Not at all. The Bible says this is a place, actually, people aren't running around loose having fun in hell, the Bible says people are bound in hell. In Matthew 22, verse 13, it says, Then the king said to the servants, Bind him hand and foot and take him away and cast him into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. 
So if you're bound hand and foot and cast into the darkness that way, this is a place where you're bound, not loose, having fun. Hell is a place, I know it's gross, but the Bible describes hell as a place of body worms. Right? Think about this. Mark 9.44 says, Where their worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. The same chapter, verse 46, says, Where their worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. Again, in verse 48, Where their worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. Hey, what do you think Jesus was trying to say? You know, it's not rocket science. And even if this were a parable, guess what the point would be? Yeah. And any sane person reading these should receive the warning and realize, I don't want to go here. I don't want to end up in this place. The Bible is also described as a bottomless pit. That means you would have the sensation of falling forever, never landing. Revelation 20 verse 3 says, And cast him into the bottomless pit, and shut him up, and set a seal upon him, and he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years should be fulfilled, and after that he must be loosed a little season. Ah, now but you might say, well, but wait, preacher, that's talking about the devil. That's exactly right. It is talking about the devil, and this place of hell, this place of blackness and burning, this place of banishment, this place that's a bottomless pit. Hey, this place was prepared for the devil and his angels, not for you. But there's nowhere else to go if you reject Jesus Christ. Can I submit to you this morning? God does not send people to hell. They send themselves by rejecting the only forgiveness, the only salvation there is. The salvation that is in His Son, Jesus Christ, who bled and died on an old rugged cross so that you could be forgiven of your sins and walk freely into heaven's gates. If you reject that, there's nowhere else to go. Don't blame God that you ended up in hell. It's your fault if you reject Jesus. If you say no to God's forgiveness, no to God's cleansing, if you say no to God's Son, if you say no to God's salvation, whose fault is that? The Bible says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. The Bible tells us this life is in His Son. It's in Jesus Christ. He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. Can you imagine God the Father sitting in heaven? Can you imagine Him watching, beholding as they beat His Son, ripped open His flesh, nailed Him to a cross, hung Him in the air for all to see Him die? Can you imagine being God and having the ability to stop that? But he didn't. He allowed it to happen for you so that you could be forgiven. Can you imagine how God must feel 
toward a person who turns their nose up at Jesus and thinks they're going to get to heaven their own way, through their own goodness? How spiteful it is. How disgraceful to reject what Jesus did and to think you're somehow better and what you do is going to be more acceptable in God's sight than the sacrifice of His Son? How crazy is that? Yet, that is exactly what some people do. Now, we're going to talk about the rich man later. He was not one of them. He was one of the ones who just ignorantly passed into hell. And that's a shame. The Bible tells us enough about hell to know it's a place we don't want to go. The Bible tells us enough about hell. It's a place that we should know it's not somewhere that we want our family and our friends to go. And that's enough to motivate us to start talking, to start sharing, open up the Word of God and say, hey, let me tell you, listen to what Jesus said. Because in this story, he described some things about hell that we need to remember, and these are things that we need to share with others. Hell has torment. And that's what the rich man, that was his message. I believe God's message was to let us know hell's real, but the rich man had a message too. He was concerned. Isn't it it a shame that people in hell are more concerned about people on earth than we are, who have and hold the truth? He said, hey, I have five brethren. Let's tell them so they also don't come here. Do you care about them? He was sharing his message of torment. Notice that he talks about torment of the body. Look at verse 23. Hell has torment, torment of the body. Verse 23 says, And in hell he lift up his eyes, being in what? Being in torments. And seeth Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. Now, we talk about the body. I said a moment ago, the body gets planted in the ground and the soul lives on. Okay, so... So it's the soul itself or it's whatever the soul is clothed in. But this man felt the torments of hell. He felt the burning of the fire. That's really what we're talking about when we say the torment of the body. That, That physically he could actually feel the pain of where he was. Don't think for a moment that because he was in the state of eternity, that because he was without his physical body, that he no longer had feeling or was no longer aware that somehow these torments didn't affect him. That's not what the Bible says. That's not what the rich man said. The Bible says he was in torment in these flames. The fires of hell will torment the body. There will be pain and agony. There will be the feeling of burning, and he felt it. And that's why he said, just send Lazarus. Look, just let him dip his finger in water just a little on my tongue. That's not even a drop. Don't you think he would have asked for a sip, a drink, maybe a gallon? No, just touch me. Can you imagine how much torment he must have been experiencing for him to desire just a wet touch? That's pretty bad. Actually, I'm afraid it's, it's, it's a little beyond our comprehension. 
And that enough should alarm us. If you believe the Bible is true at all, if you know this is the Word of God, then you know this is a serious warning. But the rich man was also talking about torment of the soul. I'm not talking about the fire this time, although that was very real. Because in verse 24, he cried and said, Abraham, have mercy on me. By the way, so the lost will, they will cry for mercy, either in this life or afterwards. Wouldn't it be much better to do it now? And ask for forgiveness and mercy and go to heaven than to wait till you get there, realize it's all real. Man, I should have taken care of this. Now it's too late. He cried for mercy and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. What he say? For I am tormented in this flame. But there's torment of the soul. Notice what he said in verse 26. And beside all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot. What is that all about? Well, if you can imagine whatever desire we have on earth to reach people with the gospel and spare them the agonies of hell, don't you think that desire is going to be multiplied when we're in our heavenly state and we're actually thinking from an eternal perspective and we realize how true all this is finally and now we're ready to get into action? What I'm saying is, if, if you take our desire to reach people uh, who are lost and multiply that many times over, that's heaven's desire. Somebody like Lazarus, you would think, would jump at the opportunity to be able to launch out of heaven and rescue someone from hell. But notice what Abraham said. He said, those which would pass from hence to you. Oh, they would go in a minute to rescue you. He said, Cannot. They can't. They can't come. It can't be done. There's no passage from here to there. It's not possible. Have you ever stop and ask somebody for directions? And they try to tell you, you, you know this old place? No. You know this other place? No. I'm not from around here. I don't know these places. Well, you know, you know this highway? No. And they say, well, you can't get there from here. <laughs> That's what Abraham was saying. You know what? Lazarus can't get to you from here. Only except he was telling the truth. It can't be done. There is a, there's a separation that's been made, and no one can pass through it. But not only that, look what he said in verse 26. He said, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. You think people would get out of hell if they could? Absolutely. Why? Because now they're a believer. But it's too late. And they would absolutely escape if they could. But he said, neither can they come. It's not possible. The gulf has been fixed to stop that transfer traffic. It will not. It cannot happen. What are we talking about? We're talking about the longing for heaven will torment the soul for those who cannot leave hell. 
Don't you think for a moment that people who go to hell, don't you think they realize where they are? Don't you think they remember? Oh, I had a friend that invited me to church. Man, I should have went. Don't you think they remember their mama prayed for them and invited them and begged them to come to Jesus? Oh, I should have listened to her. But now it's too late. And that longing within will be there and it will be real forever and ever and ever. It will torment them. The agony of the truth. This was all real and I didn't take time to consider it. That's real torment. I believe there will be torment of the heart. Look at verse 24. And he cried, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I'm tormented in this flame. Abraham said, Son, remember thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things and likewise Lazarus, evil things. But now he is comforted and thou art tormented. And beside all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. Then he said, I pray thee therefore, Father, that thou wouldest send him to my father's house. For I have five brethren, that he may testify to them, lest they also come into this place of torment. Oh, I want you to see unfulfilled desires will torment the heart of those in hell. From a desire for water, the desire to leave, even the desire for their family back on earth. They have desires too that will never be fulfilled. Those desires are going to haunt them in hell forever and ever. Hey, I'm telling you, hell is not a place of partying. The Bible says hell is a place of torment. And you and I have the responsibility of sharing the warning that God gave. Jesus preached more about hell than he did about heaven. Why do you think that is? Because it's a real place and he doesn't want people to go there. No one wants people to be saved more than Jesus. He gave his very life for that purpose so that we might be saved. Think about it. The torment of the body, soul, the heart, now the mind. In verse 25, as Father Abraham says to this rich man, suffering in hell, he says, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things. And likewise, Lazarus, evil things. But now, he is comforted. And you want me to send him down there to suffer with you? No. He's saying, remember. Can you see Lazarus sitting outside the gate begging this rich man for crumbs as he passed by in his entourage? Can you see the rich man sitting down at his banqueting table feasting and out the window you see poor Lazarus being licked by the dogs? Wow. Abraham said, son, remember your life. Remember what happened? You know, I believe there's all kind of memories that are going to flood the minds of those that are in hell. There will be mental torment and anguish for those who remember this life, the opportunities that they rejected to be saved, the opportunities they had to come to church 
and come to Jesus. The opportunities they had to read the Bible for themselves, to know the truth and be set free from sin. And they neglected them. Hey, have you ever wondered why did the rich man call for Lazarus? You ever wonder that? Why did the rich man know? I mean, think about it. If you had one phone call, who would you call? Well, it's probably going to be somebody you can count on, somebody close to you, somebody you think is trustworthy. So I wonder, why did this man pick Lazarus? Probably because, I just imagine, probably because Lazarus laid outside his gate. Lazarus probably warned him. Lazarus probably told him. Lazarus probably invited him. He knew who Lazarus was. He knew what Lazarus believed. He knew the message that Lazarus had given over and over and over. He was a faithful messenger. I think no doubt that's why the rich man looked. He called to Father Abraham and said, Hey, could you, could you send Lazarus? And when he found out Lazarus couldn't come to him, what did he say next? Hey, would you send him to my father's house? I have five brethren... Oh, Lazarus was faithful to share the message, and I know he could tell them. Think about it. Please. But Abraham said, son, it can't happen. He said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. You know what that is, Moses and the prophets. Well, the first five books of the Old Testament were written by Moses. And after that, you have the prophetic books of the Bible. So he's talking about the Old Testament, the only Bible they had at that time. The New Testament was not yet written. And so here, Father Abraham is basically saying, they have the Bible, they have the Word of God. Let your brothers listen to those who preach it, and they can be saved. Oh, but the rich man said, but Father Abraham, listen. If one went to them from the dead, then surely they would repent. Really? I give you Jesus. The one who rose from the dead. The one who left the disciples to write the New Testament pages of Scripture, which completed the Bible that we now hold. He rose from the dead, and guess what? People don't listen to him either. That's why Father Abraham said, no, they have the Bible. Let them hear that. If they will hear and repent, they can be saved. The rich man, he knew the faithfulness of Lazarus and he asked. In verse 31, he said unto him, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. He said, there's no point in sending Lazarus. If they won't believe what the Bible says, then they're not going to believe what Lazarus says. And the confirmation of that was the Lord himself who rose from the grave and the fact that people still don't believe, though he did. Powerful, isn't it? You know, because faith is a choice. You have to choose to believe. Some 
choose to believe that God is the maker of all things. And in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And when they open the pages of Scripture and read that for the first time, they say yes. And if you can take by faith the first words of the Bible, then you won't have any problem with the rest of it. Oh, but there are others who do not approach the Bible with faith. They choose instead to believe that millions of years ago, all of the matter in the universe was concentrated into a, a mass smaller than the dot on a page. And then all of that mass exploded and produced everything that is. Really? That's like saying, let's take a truckload of dynamite out to the junkyard. We will blow that thing into the air and a Cadillac will fall out of the sky. How do you get that? By faith. I personally think it takes a lot more faith to believe that stuff than it does just to believe the Bible, the written record of what really happened. The rich man missed it. And because of that, the Bible says he ended up in hell. Would you look at it once again? The rich man and Lazarus both died. It says in verse 22, And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And in hell he lift up his eyes. Being in torments, seeth Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried. And he's still crying today. As we leave today, I want to encourage you, first of all, to make sure that you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, that you have received his free gift of salvation that he paid for on the cross. And if you have, and I hope you're sharing that message with others so that they too can be saved, that they might miss this horrible place called hell. Let's pray together. Father, how we love you today and how we thank you for the truth of the word of God, how you do give us both sides. You tell us the truth. Lord, the good and the bad. And we know hell is bad, worse than we ever want to see. Help us, Lord not only to receive you and to be willing to let you be our Savior, to stop trusting in our own goodness and our own theories, and also, Lord, help us to be willing to share the truth of salvation to others, that they too might come to know Christ as their Savior before it's too late. We just ask you to help us. Help us be your mouthpiece to spread that message of truth that they might be saved. In Christ's name we ask.